everyone, and welcome back to the Queen of Calm podcast. I'm your host, Paisley Haddad. So we have an exciting week for you this week because as there was no new episode last week, I'll be releasing two episodes this week so you can catch the episode that you're listening to now, today, as well as another episode on Friday, which is super exciting because I know as graduation season approaches now, um, you know, there's so many questions about post-graduation life and, you know, what you should be doing. So both of my guests will give some great insight into that. Um, but before we get into today's episode, I just want to remind you all, if you're not following us already, follow us on Instagram at Queen of Calm Podcast and at Queen of Calm Pod on Twitter. If you want to leave us a voicemail that could be used on the show, you can leave us a voicemail at the link in our Instagram bio, but also at anchor.fm slash Queen of Calm Podcast slash message. And this week is the final week to take our Gen Z and communication survey. So you can find the survey on our Twitter as well as the link in our Instagram bio, or you can find it on my LinkedIn, which is Paisley Haddad on LinkedIn. Um, but as for today's episode, so excited for, your, for you to hear from my guests, as I'm always excited for you to hear from my guests. She has great insights, and I think that our chat is really uh, relevant to the title of this episode, which is to bet on yourself, because that's the greatest thing you can do when you're looking for a job post-graduation, because you bring tons of value to any position that you join. So stay tuned for the episode. You're not going to want to miss it. My next guest is the owner and principal of Treat Public Relations, where she specializes in the endurance sports event industry. Please welcome Meg Treat to the podcast. Welcome, Meg. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me on, Paisley. I'm super stoked. Yes. Yeah, so why don't we get started with how you first got interested in communications? Yeah, absolutely. So I think um, originally I was drawn to communications because I was really interested in writing. I um, got really into reading as a young girl and um, writing was a natural kind of progression of that interest. In the summers, like in high school, I did a couple of study abroad programs where I got to focus on creative writing and developing that skill. And I really thought I might be an author or a poet or something like that. Um, and so I think that was kind of originally what sparked me to look into the communications field was just this um, desire to make writing a part of something that I got to do every single day. That's awesome. And I, I love how a lot of us as PR professionals have that common thread of that love of writing and storytelling and being creative. So I'm so glad that you brought that up as well, because I just love how we all have that, you know, common interest. Yes, me too. And uh, I know that we'll touch a little bit more on the course that I teach later. But, um, you know, even with my students now, I think that they have really started to acknowledge more than I remember acknowledging and my other classmates acknowledging just how important it is to kind of have that creative spark uh, within you when you enter this field. I think that um, as much as sometimes other folks in the marketing suite, like our friends in advertising or graphic design kind of get profiled as creatives, um, it's just as much a part of our job, even if as communications professionals, we're often kind of presenting ourselves the same way a lawyer would or an accountant would. We're a business service, right? And so we come with that very poised professional look, um, or at least we have in the past. And I think now more than ever, we're embracing the fact that we are creatives at what we do. We're not just business advisors. We're also highly creative people who want to explore unique ways to communicate messages. That's so true. I love the way that you put that because, you know, we have to have that creative spark to, you know, keep up with all these news, with all this new news and how can I fit my client into, you know, that news story or what's going on and, you know, what are these new products and how can we, you know, be innovative on our end. So I'm so glad that you brought that up as well, because that is such an interesting way to look at it. I mean, you know, like you were saying, but sometimes we have to be like the lawyers or the business partners. And I think that creativity is really what wows clients as well that they're like, oh, I didn't think of that before. That's, you know, so interesting that you bring that up. Yes, we are storytellers at the end of the day, right? And that takes a lot of creativity. Yes. So what was your time in college like and how did that help you to refine your career interests later on? Yeah, so um, I loved my college experience. Um, I, for my undergrad, as well as my graduate work, I um, attended Purdue University, my one and only alma mater. 
Um, and I actually originally Paisley started out as an English major. I was in this program called professional writing, which of course, as a former like lover of all things creative writing, or I shouldn't say former, a continued person who loves uh, creative writing and everything that I do, I was told by my advisor that this was a perfect fit, that you know this would be an opportunity to write all types of business documents and learn how writing plays into, um, you know, different types of professional settings. And I thought that sounds perfect. That's exactly what I'm looking for. So I went about my business, my freshman year, doing my core curriculum, you know, classes, taking an acting class and taking some of my science and math courses. And first day of my sophomore year, I get into professional writing 101 and I walk in the door and um, I sit down And the instructor of that course says to the room, "Um, if you dropped out of first year engineering, raise your hand. And I was the only person who didn't raise their hand in the whole class. And I thought, I I think I'm in the wrong place. (laughs) I was like, wait, what does this major have to do with a highly technical or scientific field like engineering? And as they started to explain it, it turned out that professional writing, at least in the program where it was when I was entering it and at my school, um, was highly dedicated to STEM fields and like basically writing memos and abstracts for STEM related projects, which as a communicator, of course, I appreciate and love our friends in the STEM community, but it is not my strength at all. Um, You know, I'm much more in that creative language arts um, spot with the way that I like to learn. And so I panicked and I spent the rest of the class Googling other majors um, and exploring my university's website to see what else I could switch into today so I didn't get stuck in that course for the whole semester. Luckily, it was in a writing lab, so I had, or it was in a computer lab, so I had the chance to actually do that. And I ran straight from that class over to my advisor's office and said, I need to switch my major to communications today. <laughs> and so I changed my whole schedule that semester and um, got into my first um, couple of communications courses like intro to public relations and interpersonal communication, these other things. And it was so clear to me that that was where I was meant to be the whole time. Um, so as I went along, I, you know, I took different advertising courses, I took PR courses, um, and even journalism writing courses. And it became really clear to me that my abilities really suited the PR career track. Um, so I ended up, you know, specializing in that w- as that concentration within the communications major. And um, through my different on-campus internships and like being involved with the Association for Women in Communications and having like different speakers come to our student organization and chat with us about their work, um, it made me extremely open-minded to pursuing any type of PR-related opportunity after graduation. Wow, that's such an awesome story that you told to find your passion in public relations. And I'm sure that must have been so confusing when you get to that class and you're like, wait, I'm not in the right place. But that just shows for listeners such a great you know, chance at colleges to really refine those interests and try different classes out and find what you like. So thank you for sharing that story. And I bet that you got such a great grammar training because I'm familiar with the Purdue, Purdue OWL. <laughs> yes, the Purdue Owl is such a fabulous resource, and I'm sure some of your listeners are familiar with it too. I even now, it's been funny looking back. I used the Purdue Owl in high school before I ever like applied to Purdue or knew where Purdue was. And um, I still, to this day, I tell my students all the time, like you have to go use the Purdue Owl. Like it's it's the most un- underutilized resource on campus, but you know it's so cool that people around the world look to it for writing advice online. Definitely. And whenever I see that someone went to Purdue, I'm like, oh, well, they must have had great writing training. (laughs) It is definitely super heavy writing focus in our communications degree, no matter which, um, you know, concentration you go into. And I loved that, too. You know, whether it was academic writing or more practical, you know, writing courses about the types of things we would work on as PR practitioners. um, I always appreciated that my writing was number one, like taken seriously, like people were really looking at it. And then also too, that I was really um, dared by my instructors and professors to challenge myself and improve my writing any way that I could. 
Yes, that, that writing is so important. And even when, you know, students who are listening to this podcast go for like intern interviews or even, you know, post-graduation, it's so important to have those writing samples early on as well. I, I can't attest to how much that helped me in my journey to finding my career and, and internships and everything, because it is so important to have that in your back pocket. Totally. And even if you don't have the opportunity to do an internship, maybe you need to work full time because you're putting yourself through school. Um, Even if you don't have classes that necessarily offer you the opportunity to work on things like press releases or pitches, I would highly encourage your listeners, just like you said, to, to try to find ways to create a writing portfolio, even if it's just making a fake press release, you know, on your own time for a company that you really love or would like to work for, um, you know, working with a mentor to see if you could um, get a prompt from them on something to write, um, you know, even if you're not going to ever utilize it in real practice, um, those exercises can be a great place to, to start building up your writing portfolio. Also too, don't discredit like your academic papers. I think that you know, it might not be what a press release looks like or what a media pitch looks like or even social posts. But if I got an application from somebody with a really excellent academic paper that they were really proud of, I would know that they knew how to write, right? There's some things that, you know, of course you have different tones and you have different styles depending on the brands that you work for, but great writing is great writing. So anything that you need to display that is, um, is important to have. Definitely. So now I want to talk about that post-graduation journey. So what was that journey like for you to, you know, graduate? And then what led you to starting Treat Public Relations? Yeah, so um, my post-grad journey was pretty varied. So I started out um, right after graduation, I took an internship um, with a PR firm in Las Vegas, Nevada. I was looking to thaw out after going to the cold (laughs) Midwest for a few years And um, I ended up taking on another internship as well during that summer. And um, that fall, I was hired for my first full-time role at another agency um, there in the Las Vegas area. I worked there for a couple of years before I um, actually went in-house. I was trying to move home to California to be closer to my family. And um, I ended up being hired as an in-house PR specialist for a software company um, that was working with, um, they were like a software as a service company that had clients and customers all around the globe. So it was a really cool transition into that corporate setting, into that in-house setting um, and getting to focus on just being, you know, with one kind of brand at a time, as opposed to that agency life where we're constantly switching between the different clients that we work with. From there, I actually met my now husband um, when I was on vacation in Hawaii. I, it was a total whirlwind romance. And I ended up um, a few months later deciding to move out to the island. And so I left that in-house role Um, after too short a time. I I swear I'd probably still be working there if I hadn't left that role. It was such a great company to work for. Um, But I headed out to Hawaii um, so that we could be near to one another. And um, I ended up working at a PR firm there in Honolulu. He was in the military, so we had to switch um, up where we were living every now and then. And so our next place that we got sent to was um, Tallahassee, Florida, the capital of Florida. And so at that time, I knew that we were going to be making this move and making this transition. And so I started applying to graduate school. I ended up getting into Purdue's online graduate school program uh, that's still through the Purdue Graduate School and the Brian Lamb School of Communication, um, which I was already an alumni of. And it was great because in the event that the military did move us again, I was able to keep pursuing that online and do it from wherever we were. It was only a part-time program, and I was kind of hesitant about that. I I called Purdue, and I was like, hey, could I take more classes? Could I make this into a full-time program? They said, no, it's not really the way we designed it. And so I was faced with this question of like, well, do I want to take on another full-time position while I'm trying to earn this next level of degree? Do I want to do freelance work for local firms or even maybe for some of the firms that I used to work at? Um, you know, what, what's really the best next step for me? And so as I was trying to think that through and we were making the move, I 
had finally kind of come to terms with this idea that I had been having about going out on my own. Um, I am really into endurance sports and running. That's what I love to do when I'm not working. And, you know, I would come home from my agency positions and my in-house positions where I was really focused in on media and news sources that were important to my clients. And I would put those down when I got home and open the publications that I loved to read, like Runner's World and Competitor Magazine and Triathlete. And I would have just a a daydream every now and then of like, I wonder if I could ever represent the kinds of clients that I could pitch to these magazines. Like, wouldn't that be cool to do the PR for a marathon or for a running shoe? And as we were flying out to Tallahassee, I just kind of kept hearing my voice from when I had previously said that in my mind. And I thought, is this the chance to try and do it? So when we got to Florida, we got settled. I got set up with grad school beginning and I decided to put up a website. I, um, you know, created this business and just was positioning myself as, um, you know, somebody who was focusing in on the endurance sports industry, whether it was an event like a marathon or a triathlon, a product for athletes like running shoes or something for recovery or nutrition or even services, right? Like people who train, coaches who train folks for marathons, or maybe it's an app that helps you track your running. Um, And I put up this site and I suddenly was like, wait, but now how am I going to get clients? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I have this expertise from being a consumer of it and, you know, being somebody who's run a couple marathons and who is going to be trying to run a marathon in all 50 States. You know, I knew I had a lifelong investment in this industry as a consumer. How am I going to seek out these clients so I can establish myself as an expert from inside the field itself? So funny enough, I put up the site one morning in January of 2016. I went to a meeting later that day. I was volunteering with a nonprofit called Girls on the Run um, there in the local community. And um, I met with their executive director for lunch. And she was asking me, you know, how's school going? Uh, Have you decided what you're going to do about work while you're here? And I said, actually, you know, I I put up this website today and um, I've always had this idea. Maybe I could focus in on running and on endurance as the type of niche clientele that I want. And so I don't really know where to go from here, but it's up and I've got my logo and things like that. Um, So we'll see. And she goes, that's so funny that you'd say that. I just had a meeting with the Tallahassee marathon this morning And they're scrambling. They're six weeks out from their race and they have no idea what to do about PR and marketing. You should really give them a call. And the end of that week, just five days after putting up this website and wondering how I would ever get my first client, I signed the Tallahassee Marathon and got literally the dream client that I had been thinking about. You know, a a major race in an area that has tons of endurance athletes in it. And we rocked it. I ended up representing that marathon for a number of years and um, it kicked off, you know, the, the real start of my business. Wow. That is such an exciting story. And it's, that's the true testament that everything happens for a reason. You never know what's going to happen in your career. And that's so exciting that you met your husband and you're able to, you know, go into PR and your passion. So that's such an amazing story. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely a lot of twists and turns. I could have never imagined that my career would go the way that it did um, or, or any of the other twists and turns that have come along the way, like love and cool opportunities to live in interesting places. But um, yeah, everything really does come together one way or another. And I think what I've learned most each time that these opportunities have popped up and that things have just seemed to align is that you've got to keep betting on yourself and you can't ignore that intuition feeling that you might get of where you're going to be able to not only do your best work, but where you're really going to be happy and find like true meaning in the work that you do. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so important to bring that love for what you do to the workplace I mean, mean, we love working with any type of client, but I'm sure like if you have that passion like you do for the sports endurance, you know, uh, industry, it must be so special to come to work and then live, you know, with the products and the services that you work with as clients, you know, in your everyday life. 
Totally. Um, it, it still feels very surreal to this day. I feel like I'm, um, I'm, you know, the fangirl out in the crowd <laughs> who gets to work with her favorite rock star. And at the end of the day, it doesn't change how I feel about the rock star. I'd still be out there in the crowd screaming for him. And so when I'm getting to work with, you know, these event organizers who are putting on uh, these races um, where people really learn, you know, just how much they're capable of and learn to believe in themselves and um, all those beautiful things that sport teaches us. Um, I just, I get a total kick out of it. I can't believe it's what I get to do. Yeah. And so speaking of the sports endurance industry, um, so I love on this podcast, having different women in communications on to share their career journeys, because I think it is so important to, you know, talk about all these different industries within PR and where you can work so that if there's a listener out there that wants to maybe get into the sports endurance PR uh, industry, they can kind of get a feel for what it's like. So can you talk about the industry as a whole? You know, what has that been like for you to work, um, you know, in there as, you know, an agency owner? And because I can see, you know, from all these different, you know, races and different things, there must be so many human interest stories and interesting stories to tell. So can you talk about the industry and what it's like to work in the sports endurance industry? Yeah, I think that, you know, just in itself, the idea of endurance, the idea of resiliency that um, you need to just show up to the starting line even of one of these events is such a beautiful, inspiring story, right? That physical and mental endurance ends up leading to folks of any type of audience, whether it's the event organizers themselves, elite athletes, you know, people who are running their first 5k or people who don't run unless something's chasing them. (laughs) Um, you know, it, it provides them an opportunity to see the power of the human spirit and to see some of those, um, you know, kind of subtext lessons that come from endurance sports. For me, it's a real joy to tell stories like that. Um, as you mentioned, it really is very focused on human interest stories um, predominantly. And that for me is the most organic and kind of beautiful storytelling opportunity that there is. All of us need to be able to see people around us who we can connect with, who we can identify with, who we feel, you know, represents um, our beautiful, diverse, incredible communities. And so whether that's the, you know, elite athlete who won the race today, or it was the last person in who, you know, despite a really tough diagnosis has persevered to, you know, complete the race distance, or even somebody who used it to raise a ton of money for an incredible cause, whatever it might be. I think that there's just, there's so many goosebump kind of tingly stories that come out of um, events like these. I mean, even if you're not working in the industry, if there's a marathon or a half marathon in your town, I dare you to go out and spectate it, go out and watch runners go by and cheer them on. Um, I would be shocked if you don't walk away feeling completely changed and uplifted and really believing in the beauty of the human spirit again. It, it's just something that's on display. It, it, it's something that is tangible in the air at endurance events. And that's why, even though I do work with products and services, um, events have really become the focus of my business and um, are really where I get, um, you know, the most joy in the storytelling work that I get to do. I love that. And I I love how you get to have that, you know, storytelling aspect to your job, because I can tell that you enjoyed that so much from what you were talking about before. So that is just so amazing that you're able to look at it from all those angles. I love how you said, you know, the person who wins the race, but also that person who's raising the money and doing it for certain causes, because I mean, that is why so many people do these races is because they have, you know, something to do it for and they have a purpose. So that is just such amazing work that you're doing and that it sounds so interesting for, you know, anyone who would want to get into storytelling as well and, you know, want to be in that industry. So thank you so much for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that um, that's something that I'm trying to communicate to my clients more than ever is that, you know, of course we have incredible elite and professional athletes who come to our races um, to, you know, compete at that level and, you know, potentially win the race. But 99.9% of the people who come out to a marathon are not going to win it, right? 
And they're there for another reason. They've been on a journey that's really tough. And maybe this is signifying the end of it. Um, maybe during their training, they went through a really bad breakup that they didn't know if they were going to be able to, you know, persevere from that hurt that they were feeling. Um, you have people who have been on fitness journeys who have never really moved their body before, who are learning just how incredible and powerful their body is. It, there's um, there's so much focus in our sport sometimes on the competitive nature of it because that's been the story for so long. Um, and that was originally what you know these were designed for, right? For competition. But I think especially since the millennial running boom uh, back in the early 2000s, where you had things like the rock and roll marathon, the color run, um, the Spartan races, and these other kind of novelty events, we got this whole new perspective on running that people were coming not just to compete, but for the experience, for the accomplishment, and, and to learn something really beautiful and powerful about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's so interesting. You know, that whole uh, story you just shared about all of that and the things that you work with. And I think that goes into, you know, some trends that I've been seeing on this podcast. I've been talking with other PR professionals um, throughout the season, and we've been talking about being targeted and, you know, through the pandemic, people wanted that connection factor with their audiences. And now that we're getting through the pandemic, you know, we're seeing that people are really looking for that intentional messaging and really wanted to, you know, go behind the scenes and see more about the story rather than just what the main event is similar to what we were just talking about with those races and how you were saying that's kind of more than just who wins the race. So from a, you know, an agent, uh, uh, an industry perspective, in your opinion, what are some trends that you see on the horizon for the remainder of 2022? Well, um, I know that I've been incredibly moved and learned so much over these last couple of years um, about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that that trend towards um, doing that authentically and in a way that truly makes a difference is going to keep being a, a trend and hopefully not just a trend, hopefully a lasting pillar in all of the work that PR professionals do, um, as well as in the endurance industry specifically too. I think the other thing that the pandemic kind of taught us and a trend that I'm seeing more and that I also hope continues to remain, you know, after this time period of transitioning back to a world somewhat the way that it was, if, it, if we can even <laughs> describe it that way, um, is being more human at work. I think that, um, you know, depending on the different agencies or roles that I've held, I definitely think that kind of going back to what I was saying um, when we first kicked off our conversation about how, you know, PR professionals are kind of seen in the same vein of professionalism as the lawyer, as the accountant, we're, we're kind of in an executive facing role, right? And we're always trying to be client facing and client ready. And that idea of professionalism that was before the pandemic of like never showing emotion, not talking about what's going on in your life, not having work-life balance, just grind, 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 hustle, hustle, hustle. Um, I think that that came to a grinding halt during the pandemic. And we all learned to be more open about what's going on in our lives and, you know, how that does play a role in the work that we do. And that it's okay that it plays a role in the work that we do. So I hope that bringing that humanness and that empathy to work is something that I really want to see keep continuing forward in PR and, and in every workplace. And then I think um, also, too, one thing that I've been noticing, especially since the earlier this year with the Super Bowl um, and the halftime show um, that was this amazing, incredible show with Dr. Dre and all the incredible people <laughs> that he's discovered and worked with. Um, I think that in that performance and then in all the Super Bowl commercials, I saw this kind of new leaning towards empathy and embracing um, of the millennial generation. I think that millennials have been getting a bad rap for many, many years <laughs> since we left college. And, you know, there's been a lot of harping on millennial culture. And um, I think that now as we're coming into 
this moment where we're becoming the main demographic that many people are after. And we're in this new position in our lives where a lot of marketing, advertising, PR is going to be focused at trying to talk to us. Um, I love that there's kind of this new celebration of millennial <laughs> culture rather than just harping on us for, you know, the different kind of stereotypes and tropes that have come to be synonymous with the world, with the word millennial. Yeah, I totally agree with all those trends you just shared. And that is so important, that human factor and whether it's, you know, in diversity and inclusion or even with that millennial factor of, you know, bring that into the workplace, like maybe having a little fun, having, you know, talking more of, you know, personable on that level, I think um, is, is so important as well. And I, I can definitely attest to, you know, two different types of work places. I mean, I've just, I'm just in my first job, you know, out of college, but I can really see that change already just coming out of college, you know, through a pandemic. And now, you know, now that the pandemic is kind of letting up of, you know, you know, the difference between, you know, having a great connection with your teammates and then that translates into your work rather than just like that kind of cold corporate, you know, sort of feeling with your team. And then that kind of makes your work harder because you're trying to communicate and make that connection, which is what our jobs are all about, making those relationships and connections. So definitely thank you for sharing those. And yeah, definitely during the Super Bowl, I saw that millennial leaning, especially with like the Coinbase commercial with like the DVD thing bouncing and all those nostalgic things. (laughs) 100%. So I also wanted to ask you, so you teach at Purdue University, which is so awesome that you're an alumni and then you're able to, you know, give back in that way. So what's it like for you to be in the PR industry, but also get that perspective from the classroom? Yeah, you know, I think it's really interesting, Paisley. I never expected to become a teacher. This was an opportunity that was very kindly um, presented to me. Um, by the university. And I just couldn't have been more flattered that they were, you know, interested in having me come to teach this course that I have the opportunity to share with my students. Um, I teach a course that's called PR techniques. And so it's really just a writing class focused on all types of PR deliverables. So my students are learning how to write press releases and media pitches and social media posts And I really view it as an opportunity to give on-the-job training without having to be in the job environment where you're worried, what is your boss going to think about this? Or I've got to get it right because I got to send it right to the client right away. It's like a safe space to practice some of those tools in our PR toolbox um, without the pressures of it being on the clock and for a real PR situation where the stakes are higher. So I think that what I've seen from going back into the classroom, now being on the other side as a teacher, um, is a couple of things. I think that, um, you know, for me, the way that it affects my work is it certainly makes sure that I am staying up on best practices, um, cluing into new trends and tactics that our industry is using, and making sure that I'm providing my students with the most up-to-date way to practice PR um, and something that's going to be reflective of the way that they're going to do it out in the field after graduation. Um, So when, you know, sometimes as a professional, you get stuck in doing things the way you've always done them, or, you know, you're just like nose to the grindstone, like figuring it out. And sometimes you don't always have time for continuing education. Um, I've been so thankful that I have been able to dedicate time to my education so that I can then pass that on to my students in their education. And then, you know, I think too, it just reminds me so much about kind of setting up the right foundation and continuing to build this structure that is the PR industry in a way that we can be proud of because we're going to pass it on to new young professionals. And I've seen so many changes happen even since I left my undergraduate time at school. Um, It's been 10 years since I was graduating from Purdue for the first time. And I can tell you that our industry has done a 180 in many different ways. um, And so many things have changed. So I think that it's nice to connect with students, hear what they're most interested in and curious about, about our industry, and hear what's going to be important to them as they come out into the working world. Um, you know, I think that we have a, um, we have a responsibility 
to make PR a welcoming and inviting place and an enticing place to work, right? We want people to be interested in joining our industry so it can keep growing. And we can't do that without really connecting with the folks who are soon to be joining it. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I took a similar class to the one that you teach when I was in college called PR Writing Tools. And that was so important to have that foundation because then I was able to, you know, like we we're talking about before, of having that writing portfolio and take things into my own hands and have those materials that I, you know, worked on in class for those internship interviews and then postgraduate interviews. And I like how you were talking about, you know, connecting with that younger generation that are about to enter the industry because I am a big advocate for that, as you know, for this podcast. But because I think it is so important that, you know, we kind of meet each other halfway because, you know, the students that are in college now, they're about to graduate, they bring such a great perspective to the industry and knowing what's new, like what you were talking about, but also then, you know, bring it to the other side with these experienced professionals who have been in the industry. I think it's a great chance for collaboration and, you know, learning from each other rather than having it kind of be like that professional environment, like, oh, you're above me, like I'm intimidated to, you know, share my ideas or anything. So that's such a great way of putting it. Yes. And I think too, that, um, something that came to mind for me while you were sharing that was that, you know, I have this kind of interesting perspective that I try and enter the classroom with in two ways. I mean, number one, I'm an alumni, so I'm trying to do right by my fellow Boilermakers, but then also not being a traditional academic has been really interesting. You know, I don't have a PhD. I'm not currently working on research or anything like that. Like you said, I'm just a working professional who happens to have this really fun um, extra gig of teaching, which is something that, I mean, honestly, Paisley, like I, I always forget that they're paying me to do it. Like a paycheck shows up in my, uh, bank account and I go, oh yeah, I'm getting paid to do that. That's so cool. Like, I think of it as just like, it feels like giving back and, and it, it means so much to me that I don't even think about that part of it while I'm doing it. But, um, you know, not being a traditional academic, I know that some of the frustrations that young communications professionals and students have is that you're learning so much theory in class. I'm the first person to tell you that that theory is so important that you have no idea the intuition that you're starting to build by learning all of it, even though I know it can be frustrating and overwhelming in the moment when you're going, but I really want to just learn how to write a press release. And so, you know, I think it's cool that I get to offer that more practical knowledge. Um, But I'm also trying to remind my students to like, hey, this is absolutely on the job training. This is going to be the most practical class that you take, but please keep paying attention in all your other more theoretical classes because there are going to be moments in your career when you're like, that's not the right thing to do, or no, I think we should try that. That seems like it'll work. And you won't really remember why you'll be thinking, I've got this gut feeling. What is it from? It's from the knowledge of the communications theories that you learned. You may not ever tell your client, oh, this is from the two-way communication model or the you know, none of these things, but they absolutely create the foundation on which all of your intuition as a PR professional is built. So I think that um, those remain important, even if, of course, I hope that there are as many practical opportunities for you to learn as possible too. Yeah, yeah, that is so important as well. Those, you know, kind of core communications classes and those practical classes. And so going off of that great tip you just shared about paying attention in those, you know, theory classes, um, what is your advice for college students and recent graduates who are about to enter the industry, maybe upon graduation in May, or maybe they already have if they graduated in the fall? For sure. Thing number one is um, don't be afraid to get it wrong on the first try. I had a lot of kind of all or nothing thinking when I was in school and for a few years after I left, I was really concerned that if I didn't do it right, right away, or if I wasn't perfect at it right away, that it was a waste of time or I was never going to be good at it. Or, you know, that I had this idea that we, I just had a natural ability for the things I was good at and the things that I wasn't, I would never be able to learn. I couldn't have been more wrong. That fixed mindset wasn't serving me or anybody else. And so I think adopting a growth mindset, acknowledging that you can always learn new things, that you are capable of doing anything that you set your mind to, and that 
getting it wrong the first time, whether it's taking a job that you end up hating or you work on an assignment at your internship and your boss sends back a million edits on it, it's completely redlined, um, to rest assured that it it's okay that that happened and that life is this grand experiment, right? It's not about that there's good and bad results. There's just results that tell us more information so that we can go out feeling more knowledgeable and more confident every day in our life. So I think that would be kind of my more mushy, um, a little (laughs) bit more touchy feely advice on a job, um, level. I think that the advice that I would try and remind you and something that I saw, um, for me and all my friends, um, in my age group and, um, who I graduated with is that the first time that we were feeling like it was time to quit a job or find another job, we were all so nervous. We felt like if we quit our job, like we were going to get arrested. It (laughs) It felt like the biggest most awkward thing to go in and say, I've taken another opportunity. I'm so sorry. Or I'm so sorry. It's not working out. I need to pursue a different uh, position, whatever it is. And we were all so hung up on this idea that we like owed those people something, which of course you want to work at a place where you feel invested and certainly be thankful and grateful for the work opportunities that you get. But um, I would say that just remember any job that you have, is likely not your last job, at least for a very long time. And so it's okay if you get to a job, realize that it's totally not for you. Again, an experiment, you learn something and now you get to take that with you when you pursue something new and that you shouldn't be afraid that there's not another job waiting for you. Um, I think that, you know, luckily communications, I think has been a field that I've never had trouble, um, you know, finding new work in it, in the different places that I've moved or in times when I've decided that I need to pursue something new. So I think that it's really nice that we're entering a field that is so, um, so often hiring and also where our skills are really applicable to all sorts of jobs, you know, even if it's not a traditional communications one. Um, And then also too, um, at the end of the day, you've only got you. So, you know, of course you want to be a team player. You want to look out for the organizations that you work for. But if you notice that your mental health is deteriorating, your physical health is deteriorating, that you're dreading going into work, that you're feeling burnt out, um, the only person you've got at the end of the day is you. And so I think that it's really important to, you know, get real with yourself when it seems like, you know, you're not able to be involved with the stuff that you like outside of work anymore, or that, you know, you aren't feeling as dedicated to the position as before. It's okay to hear, you know, those gut feelings and thoughts and um, to decide to invest in a new opportunity that's going to suit you better. So I think that um, just that kind of idea, I know many of our parents' generation, you know, had like the same job for 30 years, or, you know, worked at the same company for 30 years, and that's just not the case anymore. Um, so, you know, keep your ear to the floor to hear if there's ever anything new coming around. And uh, if fresh, exciting opportunities come your way, never feel guilty for taking them. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that advice. That that was amazing advice. I I can totally attest to you know taking care of yourself and your mental health, especially after what we've been through these past two years. Yes. You know, you really gotta you know take care of yourself and your work. And just like you have that passion for what you're doing, I'm sure everyone who's listening, who's you know getting into the industry, wants to have that same passion. So that is so important to you know be looking out for those opportunities that you really want to be a part of and be willing to change and pivot with you know with with your career in the industry and everything. Thanks. Yeah. I, I hope that, um, you know, the main thing that I really hope college students and recent grads will remember is to not be so hard on yourself and to, yeah, just view life as that experiment. It's so important to stop putting things in the categories of good and bad, and really just start thinking of yourself as a whole holistic being work, play, everything else that you like doing and, and, um, you know, be okay with learning along the way. Yes. And so I also wanted to ask you, so, you know, as these recent graduates get a job and they get going in the industry or maybe, you know, a few years along, what is that process like? And what was it like for you to get that APR certification? 
Oh, sure. Yeah. So um, I'm accredited in public relations. If your listeners aren't familiar with the accreditation, it's something that's awarded by uh, the PRSA and the Universal Accreditation Board. It's a um, accreditation and certification that's available for folks who have um, earned at least five years of practical experience in the PR or communications field. And it's really an opportunity to set yourself apart um, for, you know, being on top of best practices and, you know, creating the most ethical and powerful work that you can as a PR professional. It's a pretty interesting process. So I'll tell you that for the longest time, I didn't really get what the APR was and I I didn't think it was valuable. I, I just... I was skeptical about it and I didn't pursue it. And um, meanwhile, though, I was always talking about how I wish our field had some type of license. I think that there's, you know, a lot of folks who don't, um, you know, maybe represent our field as best as it could be represented. And I think that it's really important that we do ethical work and that we are the experts at what we do. And so I was kind of advocating like, oh, I wish there was a license for this. And meanwhile, I didn't understand that the APR, while not a license, was, um, you know, a way to distinguish yourself as that type of professional. Um, There's also the certificate in the principles of public relations, which is available to students and recent graduates, which is kind of like the baby APR and (laughs) is a great like first step. If you think you might be interested in doing the APR one day Um, is a great setup for it. I would encourage anybody to do it, even though I didn't have an opportunity to do it myself. Um, But the APR process was interesting. So I started the APR um, in person in early 2020, my my local chapter, the PRSA, the Orange County uh, Public Relations Society of America, we um, had um, our in-person classes starting for the APR in like February of 2020. And so I went to my first two classes in person. And then it transitioned to being online, which was a super, you know, weird experience, you know, going to work at home, going to uh, this class at home. And um, after you take some type of course related to the APR, there's ones you can take, you know, by yourself online. You can take ones with your local PRSA chapter. Um, You can do a boot camp type thing where it's a couple day experience where you go through it. Um, I had to do the final two things that are required for this. So the first is a panel presentation where you basically um, showcase a PR campaign that you've worked on in the past through the APR's kind of lens of how to organize a PR campaign. Um, So you do that in front of other APR accredited professionals and um, they're scoring you based on, you know, a variety of factors. But once you pass that panel presentation, if you move forward from that round, the next step is taking this really rigorous four hour exam that was easily, paisley the hardest test I've ever taken in my life. (laughs) And um, I was sure while I was taking it that I wasn't going to pass it. I was just sitting there answering it going, oh my goodness, what am I going to do? I wonder when I'm going to retake this. I wonder if I could do it in a week. <laughs> you know, I was really totally down on myself thinking like, oh, this has been the roughest three and a half hours that I have had in a long time. And um, in the end though, you when you take the computer-based uh, exam, it gives you the result right after you submit it. And I got the great news that I had passed it. So um, that was really um, shocking and exciting <laughs> news. And so I'll... Um, in all, it took me um, about eight months to complete the process. So, um, or I guess, no, I guess it would have been 10 months. So I started in February with the course, took the course until May. At the end of the course, I did the panel presentation. And then um, in November of that year is when I took the test. So I was kind of studying on and off for a few months, um, getting things going with treat PR during the pandemic. And then Um, I took kind of the last month before the test where I really crammed, you know, studying a couple hours a day for the (laughs) test. And uh, I took it the day before Thanksgiving uh, in 2020. And so I was able to be extra grateful at Thanksgiving dinner (laughs) that the APR was done. (laughs) Wow. Well, what a process that is. And congratulations for getting your APR. That's amazing. And I didn't know about the other certification 
um, for younger students. So that's so awesome or students and recent graduates. So I'll definitely have to check that out as well. That's such an awesome tip you shared there too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I Some universities offer as a part of their curriculum, but it's also just something that you can pursue as a part of the PRSSA, um, that student organization. So yeah, I would definitely find out if your chapter um, offers any type of course around it or what your options are for pursuing the CPPR. <laughs> yes, that's awesome. And so Meg, I have one final question for you and it's something that I asked all my guests, but I am such a big fan of Sophia Amoruso. She started a whole empire off girl boss and she came up with that word. So I love to end the episode talking about a woman who inspires my guests because my show is all about female empowerment. And I love to end the episode on a positive note. So Meg, who is your favorite girl boss? And you can say more than one because we've had that before. <laughs> For sure. The first person that comes to my mind is my mom. Um, she followed her passion as well. She's a, a chef and she built an incredible business around that while also helping my dad with his business and taking a huge role there and being my mom. She also did tons of nonprofit work and just every project she does, she brought such polish and finesse to. And so she always was my first you know, girl boss that I looked up to. <laughs> I think some other folks who are really inspiring me right now that are more out in kind of the influencer community or, you know, our business owners who are also bringing their influence through social media are um, Rachel Rogers, who wrote a great book called We Should All Be Millionaires. Uh, <laughs> if you or your uh, uh, listeners haven't read it, it's a really incredible book that offers kind of the history of women and building wealth and what that's looked like for us through history and the challenges that we've faced, and then brings her own tips for how to either through your own business or through, um, you know, just your traditional career path uh, that you can really build wealth for yourself. The other person in that same vein, who's really empowering women to take control of their wealth and their financial power is a gal named Tori Dunlap. Um, she, her handle is her first 100 K and she does a lot of um, financial education aimed at young women and kind of bursting past all of the kind of, you know, patriarchy focused business advice and financial advice that's out there that kind of gatekeeps that information for women. So I think she's a really cool person to follow. I think her and Rachel are doing um, incredible work to try and show women just how financially independent and powerful we can be. Yes, well, your mom is definitely a girl boss. And so are Rachel and Tori. I'll definitely have to check them out because I haven't heard of either of their books or their projects. So right after this, I'm going to go follow them. I know I say that in every single one of my episodes, but I'm always like, oh my God, like I have to go check them out because they sound so amazing. So thank you for sharing those women. And Meg, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was awesome to hear your story and about your work and about your tips for our listeners. It was just so great to have you on. Oh, thank you so much, Paisley. It's just a total pleasure. Thank you for what you do for inspiring um, more students to pursue this path and explore what their career might look like. We, we need all the incredible communicators that we can get to join us in telling the stories that are going to change the world. So thanks for your role in that with this podcast. I'm really stoked that I could be here. Of course. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? Head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Want to drop us a line? Click the link in our Instagram bio to leave us a voicemail. And who knows, it might even end up on the show. See you next week for more tips and tricks of the trade.